tell you what, everyone, backed by popular demand, I got Garen Armstrong right here with me. But let me ask you a question first, all right? You ever see that show? Guys, you heard of this Antique Roadshow? You guys are young. No? You know what I'm talking about? I've heard of it. Yes, Antique Roadshow. You see these people that would show up on television, all right, with these antiques. You remember it, everybody, if you're over the age of 30, for sure. And they'd say, they think this thing is worth thousands of dollars. They'd put it in front of somebody, and they'd say, it's worth 10 bucks. Now, the reason they thought it was worth so much money is because it had some value to them. It had been in their family for a long time. It had some kind of sentimental, some kind of memorial to them in their mind. This happens a lot with our own companies. We get attached to them. We get attached to the people, the product, the service that we're providing. And we can lose track of what our company is actually worth. And so that's why I wanted to sit down with Garen here today, Shamrock Roofing, outside of Kansas City, to talk about what your company is actually worth in the market. How do you evaluate the monetary value? And so I couldn't be happier to be here with Shamrock Roofing, Garen Armstrong. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Patrick. It's good to see you again. And it's good to see you. I'm excited to, to talk about this subject. It's running wild throughout the industry and would love to kind of pin down some, some answers to, to a lot of the questions that are floating around out there. There's a lot of it, man. And that's why I want to jump right into this, okay? I mean, I think the best place to start is, well, I'm going to start it this way. You got a lot of private equity out there. You got a lot of money coming into the blue collar trades right now. Yes. Um, you're really focused on the roofing, the restoration side, but it's coming in everywhere. And when that starts happening, you've got roofers, you've got contractors that are getting phone calls. What is that first phone call like when you've been working your butt off for three to five years, let's say, and now this private equity group says, hey, we like you. What's that first phone call like? It's exciting. You, you you feel validated. You feel like all the what you've done is is it's 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 paid off. Like you got your first your first email, your first call, and you're excited. And they're congratulating on your business right away. They're love bombing you, um, to you know to get you all more excited. And it's 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 so that they can get your financials ultimately. And and but it, it does feel good. Um, but then as soon as you start getting them that information, what's going to happen is another person is going to come out and reach out to you. And then you're going to like, ha ha, now I got two people very interested in me. Hey, I'm on top of the world. You know, I must be doing something really right. Sure. Until, you know, they got your financials and then they got your financials. And then all of a sudden they're actually not even, they're just a broker or they're, they're, they're like a feeder to the actual pri private equity. And then it, it gets passed off. And then they start going through your numbers and, and your diligence. And it, then it gets on its own track, a, a timeline of how it's working. And, this, and then the other person that reached out to you, you know, they're, they're requesting all the same information. And all of this takes time, and they're on different channels. Mm -hmm. And so while you're trying to run operations and keep your business good that got you there in the first place, this is taking you off of your goal as you create these, these communications back with each channel, we're going to call them channels, like sure. this private equity channel, this private equity channel, and then next thing you know, you, you, you start getting off kilter. Who, what, what do they got? What do they got? And when you're doing that, they're picking you off, you know, because then they get another third person that, that, that's interested, right? And so then you become so consumed on, on taking care of getting all the information to these folks that you, you lose sight of the operations. And so um, you got to be smart how you do it and, and timing, 
right now in the market, traditional private equity say, hey, we want to make sure you have at least five million EBITDA mm -hmm. uh, before it's really worth our time to go through and go through all the due diligence process with that company. So I want to back, back up here for a second because I think this is a good warning that I hope my viewers and listeners, no matter what your industry is, okay, what business, when private equity gives you that first call, they're going to butter you up, oh, yeah. right? They're going to make you feel, man, like you're everything, right? Right? Because I think that's the job. They want to get their foot in the door. And as you mentioned, for the sole reason of we want your numbers. Right. We want you to trust us so that you'll peel back the numbers, show us the books, and we can get a real evaluation of where we're at here. Right. But they're not going to do that by just giving you a call and saying, hey, we think you're an average company. Right. Um, I think that's so key that people understand and go, okay, i got to have the right mindset, Garen, going into this thing when I begin to get these calls. Absolutely. Um, you've been there. You've been on both sides of this, man, yes. where you see... These people, they feel like, man, I'm a million bucks, and oh, you want to see my numbers? Sure. I mean, and they begin to kind of put their cards out there, maybe too early, right. um, and that exposes their business. It does, definitely does. Um, there's so much ego into your own business, and you have attachment to it, and you really got to step step back. And, and, and take a, a different look at it and say, okay, this is my business. And, and, and you got to be willing to see where your shortfalls are. And we become so proud of what we built that it becomes a weakness and, and that we even start to almost brag about are we, are, what, what, we're, what we're doing, what our weaknesses are. They, they, can, they can see it. Now, our weaknesses may not necessarily be a weakness to them because they may be strong in that area and can help, help them compensate that. Yeah. But for the majority of, of the, the contractors that are being approached by these uh, private equity folks, you know, the majority of the contractors aren't sophisticated enough to know. Yeah. Um, I've been doing this for a long time and everybody reaches their own level of incompetency and 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 and, I, and, I, and I'm fairly good but I, I, I'm not good past a certain number I mean everybody I mean these people on their financial modeling and the way they're able to pull numbers out and re remodel everything and then they'll show you what your business is doing where you're failing at I mean and then then you you have to be uh, comfortable enough with yourself and well adjusted enough to go wow wow I, uh, I, I've got some work to do. Mm -hmm. I want to give an example of that, what you are just talking about, where you're, you, maybe your own ego becomes your weakness when you're doing these negotiations, especially in the beginning. When I think about this, Karen, what I'm thinking about is that guy who gets to talking and he says, he says something along the lines of, yeah, you know, the business just kind of runs itself. I'm not there that often. And they go, to them, that might sound great. You know, hey, I've got a business that runs itself. But then to that other person, other line, they start to go, okay, you're personally not involved very much. Who is the one that's running the show around here? Because now we've got a second thing that we've got to think about. We know the person that we're talking about isn't the one who's pulling the shots. Right. So now I've got to think about who's the second guy in, in command over here. Right. We and you talked about this off, and I thought it was really interesting. That brings up this idea of a secession plan. Yes. Right. When you're making an evaluation of a company, what is that when people start looking at 
because I think we, we tend to not think about our own demise or our, you know, we're sure. going to be around forever. Right. But private equity may be looking at you not being around forever. What is this secession plan? How does it play into evaluation? The secession plan is imperative and it's, it's, it's planning the business of what's going to happen in case the owner gets sick and dies, wants to retire. At that point, we're looking for any one point of failure that is going to drag down that business, that's going to bottleneck the flow. When we go in and we start professionalizing the business, we're looking at the departments and, and the flows. You know, the person, to your point, who says, it runs on my own, perhaps, you know, the point he's, he's trying to make to the investors is, oh, it's, I got processes and procedures in place. I don't even need to be there. It runs on its own. Well, it will run on its own until you grow and then those processes and procedures break. You know, and so it's, it's two, two points to this guy. Well, one, do we really need him then at that point if he if it doesn't need to be there? You know, so he could be, he could be you know, paid off and, and go away. And maybe that's, that's per, that person's goal. But then it's to your point, who is running the business? Mm -hmm. Who are the key players? And are they compensated enough to take, to take care of that? So when I think about that, though, I think, you know, when it comes to succession plan, that is something that not a lot of individuals are thinking about, and they don't really have it in place. I would say that many of the viewers and, and listeners that when they think about their own company, they, they have an idea, right. um, but they don't know. And that's something that before you start to get too high on your horse, and it's something to think about. If it's going to be your son or daughter, is, are they prepared? Um, now, a minute ago, you mentioned this process thing. I got I to gotta ask you about this because everybody you talk to knows they should have processes and procedures in place. Right. Um, but actually making it happen. Here at Shamrock, you've got a lot of great process. Right. Um, 13 different states, I want to say now? Uh, 11 different 11 states. Different, and, okay, yeah, well, six 13. More locations give it a few more. Next year, right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, when you, you've obviously got some kind of process in place to be able to scale across that many states, all right? But there are a lot of contractors, we're not talking small guys, we're talking guys 10 to 12 million, that they know they need to do it, they've tried, but they fail. Right. What is it, the process, you know, pun intended, sure. like at Shamrock, to institute everything that you've put in? Do you have team meetings? Do you sit down with somebody? Did you have everybody here in the office and go, hey, operations, how do you want to get it done? Can you granulize this for me, sure. how it actually works again? I call processes document of the flow of energy that takes your business from inception of the deal, how you get the deal, from the marketing to how it comes in and all the touch points that it goes through to production to finalize the deal mm -hmm. and to customer service. And, and so, yes, we've had multiple whiteboards along the, play, uh, along the, the way. Um, and it's what you want to do is you know, when you're following the energy, the flow, eliminate as many touch points as possible so that it's easy and it flows smoothly. I mean, when, you, when you're looking at Apple and their CRMs, you want to create as few touch points along the way so it flows smoothly. And we talk about the systems or processes get broken. Well, it's the volume of business is the stress test on the flow of energy to say, is this the right process? Is it going to break? And it will with more volume, it's going to break that process 
and which case it doesn't break it. You it just you remold it. You you and, and adjust. This is huge, though. I don't want to miss this right here. If I'm if I'm understanding you correctly, and this is something for our business right now. I've got to think about. You may not have the wrong process in place. You're telling me that what could have happened is that you've grown beyond the process itself. The weight of, let's say, the revenue, the weight of the jobs has broken your, broken your process or stressed it to a point where it's no longer working. Is that right? That's right. So I, I think this is a mind shift for a lot of entrepreneurs out there as they evaluate their businesses. Your processes may not be breaking. You just may be outgrowing Correct. those processes. Correct. Touch points, huh? I love that Touch point. Points. It can be difficult, though, because we get attached to people within our companies. That's difficult. I know when you walk around, you say hello to everybody. You're going, I mean, you care about your people here. Yes. On, a, on just like a site level, um, if you're out there and you're a business owner and you're trying to increase the value of your company, I'm listening to you, Garen, and I want to reduce my touch points in my process. But I look at this and I go, well, what about, you know, Susan? All right, if I reduce this and I get a, I'm able to remove that administrator right there, Susan's been with me for five years. How, I mean, how do you balance that? Because that's important when you're working about process. Right, that's a great question. And Susan's been there, just because it's changed the process and Susan's role may have been X, Y, Z, Susan's process you know, is now gonna be X, Y, Y, Z. Yeah. And she's just gonna just pivot again. You're gonna keep the value of the quality of the employee we're going to work on different automation processes and different ways that we can become more proficient and effective by utilizing this, the same you know, person that's been with us five years. So you don't, in your experience, even though you've grown, have you been able to keep the people that you've wanted to keep? Yes. See, I think that people, I think there's a real, I struggle with this. I think about like, all right, we've got great, we got a great group, it's growing, right. but what if we came out with this editing software for video that could, I don't know, we no longer needed Brett. Right. Um, but if I wouldn't want that, you know, like I, if that process came about, I would have to go, okay, well, damn, I don't know if I would want that process right. because I, I just like Brett. Right. I don't know if that makes it sense. Makes I feel like people, sense. I think people struggle with maximize the value and the monetary value of your company and then also maximize your culture right. and your people. That's got to be something that goes right. through your head. It does, and that's why I have a hard time with titles, giving mm -hmm. people because it pigeonholes people in a title, in, in a role. Whereas you know, I like to call them utility players. You know, like you talked about, there's a different editing software, and you have to replace Brett. Well, you don't have to replace Brett, or that would take that would eliminate proficiencies, so that Brett could then go bring on more clients for you, because wow. he already knows you. He already knows he's he's part of the team. He's is the team with the team with you. You know, just like when we grew, outgrew going. Um, from cash accounting to accrual accounting. The, the, my, my back office that was handling the finance aspect of it, we had to bring in a higher quality CFOs, higher quality accounting, right? And nothing to them, but it just outgrew them. Is the Peter principle. They, they outgrew their, their level of competency. Well, what we did was we, we, we brought them in and had them learn all of the other parts of the business to where, you know, I went and taught them 
we'll just use Amy for example. So now she knows, you know, I taught her to sand the deck, sand the deck. I need you to go down to Arkansas and focus on the market. We'll be out in the field with the guys, sand the deck. Okay, go out in production, learn to paint the fence, paint the fence. You learn in production. Okay, yeah. now she learned all of these, I'm referencing the karate kid, how he was learned to paint, sand yeah. the deck, paint the fence, all of that. So now it's like, okay, now come back and help. It's time, time to fight, right? Yeah. Time to fight is let's focus on the drivers of revenue and focus on that. Help me achieve that now. So I was able to repurpose her, and that's just one example of someone who's been with me forever, who's loyal to me, who I'm loyal to, who, um, so, I mean, yeah. First of all, she her energy is absolutely contagious. Yes. She's wonderful. Brand ambassador, I believe, is what yes. she is. Yes, yes. Um, completely amazing person. But, you know, when you're looking at, and we're talking about how we can increase the value and what the true worth of a company is, I think sometimes it comes down to how many of those people do you have in your corner, Karen? And I think a good way to evaluate that is what you just said. When you want to karate kid an employee, meaning, right. listen, your role is changing. Right. And these are the, this is what's happening. Right. But you're great and I want you here. Right. If you go karate kid it over here and learn all this, we continue to see value in what you're doing. Right. The people that are there for you look at it and go, heck yeah. yeah. You know what? Let's go do it. The people that aren't, they're going to go, Ugh, you know, not. Nah. And then you're going to see the performance drop off and you're going to see that. And you're going to have to let those people go. Right. Um, and those are tough decisions that you've got to make. Right. Um, one of the things that I continue to hear kind of turning the page here a little bit, you mentioned this word earlier, EBITDA, EBITDA, EBITDA. Everybody talks about this. I, I feel like I can't get into a Facebook group that's talking about, you know, selling or value of a business without somebody mentioning it. I'm not a finance guy. I'm not as well-versed as what you are. And I, I'm going to be honest with everyone about that. So let me just say what I did. I went and I looked at what is this? You know, what does it mean? And on the negative side, which I'd like you to address, it seems that people are saying, well, you can fudge the numbers of EBITDA if you do this or that with accounting. I'm sure you could do that with any kind of evaluation. But I'm asking, is that the proper way to evaluate a company is through this EBITDA system, where do you stand on this? EBITDA, earnings before interest tax and amortization. Um, it, it is how their, EBITDA is how they uh, evaluate enterprise value of a lot of uh, private equity business. Mm -hmm. you know, your public equity businesses are your trading on the, the, the New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ, whereas the private equity markets or dwarf the public markets, right? Mm -hmm. So that is how they've been evaluating uh, your companies now. Your, your EBITDA, your enterprise value is basically your, your, your revenue divided by your, your EBITDA, which is basically your net operating add back interest taxes. Um, and, and then that'll give you a percentage of EBITDA, what you're, you're making. Commercial roofers have a lower percentage you know, like just like big industrial manufacturers, they have a lower percentage, but like technology companies have have a higher percentage, right? Mm. As opposed to what you hear in the industry, well, linear sold for a nine times multiple of EBITDA. A multiple of EBITDA is is a, t a multiple. It's not the percentage. So if just to keep math simple, Please. let's say they sell fifty million a year. And there's 10%, so they fought 5 million uh, EBITDA. 5 million EBITDA times 
nine, and, and that's your valuation. Now I'm gonna tell you, nine is a higher side. What you're really seeing in the roofing space right now yeah. is, is a seven, eight, and nine. Um, traditionally, what you've seen in, in construction, you're looking at a three to five. Meaning, if you've got the ability to make a dollar, you're worth at least three dollars. <throat> so, you know, people say, okay, well, my, my business, I have, you know, this many assets minus liabilities, my value of my business is this. That's just on an asset valuation, right? That's just giving you the one dollar if you had the ability to make one dollar. Mm -hmm. But in the business, if you got the ability to make one dollar, well, then you're worth at least three. So, traditionally, construction companies sold from three to you know, five and six, and you know, a lot of that depends on how clean the business is, how much business they do. Um, so there's there's a lot of that. So I, I want to now we're really trying to bring this full circle for everybody. I want to don't miss this. All right, we're saying that you know, okay, we can do that at five million dollar, let's say evaluation, and that percent, and then we're going to take it by seven, eight, nine times that, or traditionally three to five times that is going to be the evaluation they're going to give for your company. Right. But the difference, this is, I think, why so many people are very high on, on private equity right now in the contracting world, because they have seen it go from a three to five to a seven, eight, nine, and all of a sudden their business is worth more to private equity. But I don't want them to miss what I think we've talked about in the beginning of this conversation, which is why we want to start it there. The difference of what makes it a seven versus a nine, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, are those processes, the people, the things you have in place, great, you did five million, but they come and they evaluate your company, you let your ego get in the way, you showed your cards too early, and now you get a five instead of a nine multiplier on that, that's a huge difference in what goes into your pocket for the hard work that you've put into that company. Absolutely. It's huge, man. Huge difference. And <clears throat> we see this a lot with the, the older roofing contractors that don't have a CRM, they just have a cell phone, they've been working their knuckles till they bleed, they want to retire, but they and they're great, great tradesmen, and they've got nice businesses that they've run. But you take that person out of the situation and they really don't have a business. And it's really sad. And I, 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 I get calls uh, to them because I have a power partner program and where it's to where we can help them get implemented a CRM to be able to clean up their business, to be able to exit. Yep. Albeit, that takes years. That's going to take two, three years to clean it up proficient enough to be able to get those types of offers that are bouncing around the industry. Yeah. Because really, yeah, they'll reach out and you'll give them the numbers, but as soon as they look into it, they're going to say, no dice. And that's really sad when you're that guy who worked so hard to be a great tradesman, to provide the great craft, and now you really can't exit your business Well, you for the value that you've created in that business. Yeah, and what you, you mentioned this power partner program, and I want to turn to that because one of the things I think that in the, in the trades that contractors do is they, they don't want to turn to the white collar guys, all right? They don't. But when you're getting involved with this and you're beginning to get these guys to give you a call, they do this for a living. And their job is to make a hell of a lot of money. Yes. And so you need to have somebody in your corner that understands how do we increase the value of this company. And you've been at it for 20 years. You've got a good $22 million company. 
You've got a good market share where you're at, but you haven't done things that are going to make it as attractive to these private equity firms and you want to exit. You may need to give it three more years. I know it sucks, but that could be the difference in the type of lifestyle you're living 20 years down the road. You put in the hard work you deserve to get paid for it. But with your power partner program, this word comes up and I've heard it before. I wrote it down here, an investment banker. Right. All right. And I know like, nope, nope. I don't need nobody like that. Right. That's just screams to me. The guy I don't want in my corner. Right. You have a different outlook on this though, Garrett. Is that right? Absolutely. An investment banker is really a misnomer. Right. They're not even a banker. They're, <laughs> okay. they're, they're a liaison in between the private equity firms. And an investment banker is going to be representing you on your behalf. And it's going to be shielding you from all of the private equity firms that hang outside the IRE waiting to pick off everybody to go and talk to them so that they can lowball them with the low number because they don't know what they're doing. And they're going to love bomb you and they're going to tell you how good everything is. Um, but yep. they're, they're, that's, that's what private equity does, just like vultures, right? And there's, there, there's a lot of great private equity firms. So, so that's not a generality. I mean, I don't want to generalize all of them. There's, <laughs> Um, but having a private or investment banker to represent you uh, yeah. is is worth its weight in gold to, to do it right. Because one, going back to the point where you're, you're managing each private equity firm on a different channel, it takes so much time from you for that. And, and they don't care about your time. They're going to just run their numbers as they do it. And they don't care that your head's down or you're in a truck or you're on a roof or whatever the case may be. Um, and then they're requesting some information from you. It, it gets really difficult. I mean, say you're 100% busy on nonstop, doing that adds another at least 30, 40% to your, to your schedule. I imagine it definitely would. Yeah. Um, and so I think this is a real shift in the mind of a tradesman out there. You've been running this company for 15 years. You've got something great. You're thinking, I want to go tackle this like you have everything else in your life. Right. I want to be the face. I've been the owner of this company. I, I know this business better than what they do. I could see that line coming. I know roofing, restoration better than this guy, this firm. I'm going to tell them what they need to know. I'm going to be the one who, who steers in, in this conversation. No, no, no. You don't even know where you're... This is like a, that scene from where Tom Cruise with a few good men or whatever he is, yeah. and he leads Jack Nicholson down that whole route, <laughs> and in the end, he just blows himself up on the stand. Yes. You don't want to be that guy. No. Um, you need that person in your corner. And I love that you got this power partner program to help people with this. Um, because you've been on both sides of that fence. Yes. Let's just say, though, that for whatever reason, Garen, they don't take your advice. And that, that contractor is outside of IRE in February in Vegas. See you all there. Um, and they're getting wined and dined in Las Vegas, man. Take them out to the Bellagio. They're taking them every place to shows. They're, 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 they're buttering them up, Garen. All right? Give me at least, you've been on both sides. Right. Give me some red flags. All right. What should what should that contractor go? Okay, I remember watching this. I remember Garen from Shamrock saying, "Watch out for this right here." Right. What is it? There's red flags that I'm looking out for. As I'm looking out for, what's what's their end game? Are they just a broker? Are they a broker that are working with somebody else? And mm. if they are just a broker. They may be love bombing you now, but I can guarantee you that they do not care about you or your entity. They are just looking at your company so that they can then 
play the multiple arbitrage, meaning if I'm able to buy this $20 million company and get them at a, a $5 million EBITDA, and I'm able to buy this $15 million and get them at a, a $5 million, <clears throat> and, and then you combine them together, and then you sell them, then they're able to get that 9, 10 multiple. They're getting that multiple arbitrage. So that's what their goal is doing. Point blank simple. They don't care about people or anything else. That broker is just trying to do that. Other PE firms that you're going to hear, they're going to private, uh, family offices. We're a family office. We're not like the big guys. We don't sell to pension funds. We're patient money. We're slow money. That's nonsense. They're in it for the money. So, um, and, and, and they're there to, to change it. So if you're there and you built a culture and you've got multiple generations in it and you're, you, you want to protect that, you definitely want to know what is the plan, how it's doing, and structure your vision in the, the go forward to make sure it dovetails with their vision. Hmm. And, and, and that way you can protect your dream, your vision, and, and as the conversations go on down the road, they're going to see if it's a good fit or you'll see if it's a good fit or not. But um, definitely watch out for all the brokers out there. We're inundated with brokers, pri private equity firms. They've even got lead getters that are just sitting there calling to send out all these emails. And so by the time that, that person that reached out to you, he's actually going to be just handing that job off or handing, handing you off to somebody else. One of the, I don't know this about you, so I'm going to be interested to hear your opinion. We haven't talked about this, but so bear with me here as I sure. kind of ignorantly work my way sure. through this. I think that what a lot of contractors want to see more of is other contractors wanting to get involved with their business. Yeah. Okay, like let's just say Shamrock. All right, you you said you you roll into I don't know Iowa, Illinois. You're, you're rolling in there, mm -hmm. and you come across a great company, mm -hmm. and. I just think about the value there would be and how special it'd be if you stepped in and you said, Patrick Car Roofing, mm -hmm. um, let's acquire Patrick Car Roofing. But Patrick, you've been involved with this business for a long time. I don't want you to go anywhere. I still right. want you to be a part of this. Right. I still want it to be a part of your, your family. Right. Hold on to this thing. Right. Um, and you have, let's say, 10% in this thing. Right. All right. But here's where I want to sweeten the deal for you. All right. Because I'm buying into this with you, I want you to buy into me. Right. And so now I want you to have a part of Shamrock and Brett's roofing and Russell's roofing that we also have over there. Right. And so wouldn't that be powerful if everybody started to get into this like this pool together as roofers? Is that something that you're seeing at I'm yeah, I'm throwing it out there. Yeah, it, it, like a co-op, and I and I, I'm starting to see it uh, raise its head more. Okay. And and it's. It's awesome, and I'm looking forward to that. And then you start to question, what's the end goal for that? I don't. That's why I'm right. asking you. you so where do you end, see that? The end goal for that is essentially no different than a small private equity firm trying to roll them all up because ultimately they're just trying to get them bigger so that you're still going to exit at some point, right, mm -hmm. um, for the bigger play. So you see some people, you know, let's get, bring everybody together. Let's build a platform, right? Together, your enterprise value is higher, mm -hmm. and you can exit more uh, for more more money. Um, you know, if 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 that's the goal. Interesting. I, never, I didn't think about the exit strategy being because I'm sure that they're saying, "Hey, listen, you own. We're all co-opting this team together." However, though, final right of sale is going to fall with our firm on this side. So as long as this is something that's owned by everybody, it's owned by everybody until it's not. Correct. Um, 
But I, I do think there's, I think there is some value in that being that there's less, it's less risk adverse when you're, you know, everybody's kind of in this together with everybody. Um, and it still lets that person feel as though, not feel as though, but they are still in their business. I, I, I'm just trying to think of, maybe, maybe I'm ignorantly trying to ask here, Garen, is there a perfect way or a, a better way to do this that we're not thinking about? Where, where do you fall within that as people are, are evaluating their business right now? I like the idea of, of, of the co-op and, and roofers who have, a, 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 to your point, good business in Iowa, Illinois, you know, teaming up with the other good business that is in Arkansas, and everybody has insight and input together. You're able to uh, buy material better. You're able to see best processes, you know, procedures together, best business practices, and what works for everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, but then the question becomes, how do you continue to, to finance? I think that's what happens. Businesses get to a level and you outgrow your traditional bank and you're almost getting pushed into the arms of a private equity firm. Yeah. Okay, so let me go down there. I got a few more questions, everybody. We're here with Garrett Armstrong, Shamrock Roofing. Because um, I was just thinking about this. Is it time then? I mean, is it time for contractors just to wake up? at this point and go, listen, this is what's here. Um, you know, you are going to outgrow yourself um, and your competition is going to sell and it's going to be tougher and tougher for you to, to compete at a, at a high level to grow your business. If you are that contractor who's been doing it for 20 years and you're a great craftsman, that guy, it's time to wake up to where we're at or is there still a market for that gentleman? 20 years down the road. There's still a market for that gentleman 20 years down the road, but it is getting smaller and smaller. I mean, it's phasing them out and, and those chucks in the trucks that are doing, you know, two to five, it's getting very much harder. I even notice it for me in competing against the marketing budgets of these other uh, roofing companies that have already sold to private equity. And now in a market that I'm already elbowed out in, I'm pretty much in the Midwest, I, I do really well. But I've, I'm, the, the, the competing price that I'm paying for clicks and, and Google and my marketing budgets, they're going up because they've got the deep pockets to push it up. Mm -hmm. So the people that are doing you know, two to five, you know, they're gonna be nimble enough to stay in it, but it comes down to, but they're so small. If they get hurt, if, they, if, if insurance doesn't pay them on time, if their cash flow doesn't work, then, then they're gonna be, gone out of business. I mean, you got to be nimble, lean, mean to, to stay in at that two to five and make sure everything goes right and that you don't get, you know, have a customer that holds up a check to mess up your flow. I look at it like uh, car dealerships is how I began to think about it. Now that I, you're, you're telling me this, yeah. you, you got some major car dealerships, Ford, Chevy, you know, you've right. got your, you know, whatever it is, your Lexus dealership, Mercedes. Right. right. And then you go down a certain street in everybody's town or city and you've got all those I don't know, private car dealerships. Right. Does anyone think that Patrick Carr uh, auto dealer is going to ever become the, as big as the Ford dealer there is in town? I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm competing against prices I can't beat on the new side, and their used market is going to be better. Their warranties are better than what I can offer. Right. And so I can grow to a certain level, right. but 
at a certain point, I'm, I'm capped in what I'm going to be able to become in that market. I, I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm just trying to relate sure. it to what I see out there in the field. You're right. And, and to your point, you see the small, what's the life expectancy of us, those small dealerships? They're, yeah. they're, they're in, they're out, they're yeah. changing a the name, they're, right? Yep. And, and that's what you see with the two to five mil, true. In, in the roofing contract. Let's take a look at this, folks. We're with Garen Armstrong over here with Shamrock Roofing. Can we bring up that list of the top 100? Yeah. Um, so we're going to put this up right now, and uh, we'll put it up on you know on the screen here for you. But we wanted to look at the top 100 list, everybody, um, from a Roofing Contractor magazine. And Garen, I'd like you to take me through kind of what do you see, man, on this list when you're looking at this? Because this always seems to be a scorecard that draws a lot of attention on social media. You see companies that go to the IRE that brag about it. They've got it on their pamphlets or on a banner, you know, top 10 in the country. When I see these numbers, you mentioned earlier, you know, commercial having a lower EBITDA. I see a lot of guys at the top heavy in commercial. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What are you seeing when you look at this list, brother? So, the, you know, the list is, is, is a badge of honor. Um, but it, it definitely can skew the health of the actual business that's on there because it only focuses on the on top line revenue. It'd be great if they could filter it between uh, commercial and residential and then filter it between how many is backed by private equity mm -hmm. and how many is is not. And that would show a big that would show who the real players are, right? Like um, it's going to be if you take these the top residentials and see the residentials and come mm -hmm. down here, they're 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 the closest. Well, they're making they're they could be making more money than these the commercial guys. It it, it is deceiving. Interesting. I see so many names up there. First of all, I recognize, and I, I just wonder, you know, the how healthy these companies are. I mean, we see revenue. Um, but the health of the company, it's difficult to ascertain when you're looking at just the revenue numbers. Correct. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, 57 looks good. Yeah, um, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, 57. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, when, when you look at it, and so then, like say if you filter it and you say, okay, well, if I'm competing against just with other the residentials, um, then, you know, you're the top 20. Then you say, okay, well, I'm competing against, I'm self-funded, but yet I'm competing against, uh, professionally backed, you know, private equity firms, then, then maybe I'm top 10, right? Like, so if you, you filter it out, then it'd be nice to have these filters so people can actually relate to them versus, you know, you're relating against tech, uh, which is, you know, financially, you know, manipulated business with 4,200 people. It's just your average, you know, your bottom 50 of this, you're, you're, you got 10, 20 people, you're not competing against them, right? Yeah, it's kind of like, I think we talked about earlier, the public versus the private side. Right. It'd be nice if we had a private list and then right. a publicly, almost like a publicly traded list versus a private list to right. go, all right, these companies right here right. are privately funded. Right. And I tell you, man, they released that list and you want to talk about the number of phone calls that <laughs> list is going to get? Yes. I mean, they would get their, their phone wouldn't stop ringing because right. private equity would just wait for that list to come out and go, we're going after these right. people right, right. here. Right. Um, but that would tell that the, the health of these businesses um, is interesting. And you're right. I mean, when you look at those top ones right there, a lot of commercial jobs, maybe $100 million of that locked up in three to five commercial jobs that those guys are running. Right. Um, interesting, man. 
I mean, that top yeah. 100 list is a badge of honor, though. It is. And, and to think of it, you know, then it comes down to what's more valuable. Back to the analogy of the antique roadshow. You know, they used to break out this watch and say, well, this watch is interesting because it has this error and whatever, or, or, you know, when you're looking at this, people say, okay, well, it's residential. Well, is it retail or insurance? Well, is, you know, and that's a big issue. You know, mm -hmm. it's like almost a fight. Well, retail is better than insurance and insurance is better than this. Well, <clears throat> You don't want to be a one-trick pony. If all you can do is retail, that's it's you know, and you're not aggressive enough to go out in a market and you've had damage, you know, then people are going to going to see that and they're going to they're going to judge. If they see that oh you're just insurance but you don't have the ability or the know-how or in-home financing or whatever to do retail, they're going to see that. And all of these are, are 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 chinks in your armor per se if you're not well versed, well rounded. Mm. When you look at this list, my final question here for you, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk about all this. We hear this a lot, and you talked about in our last interview in part one, the billion dollar roofer that's out there, okay? And billion dollar guys, let's say revenue billion dollar guys. For those who aren't familiar with the list, my, it's a two part question. One, is it possible, are there billion dollar guys right now, number one? But then two, is it possible to become a billion dollar guy privately because let's take your you know shamrock roofing is it possible to do it without all that investment firm money coming in and buying into the whole everything we've been talking about <clears throat> so to answer your question i would say that we probably already have some billion dollar residential roofing companies just because they haven't hit a billion dollars in top line revenue doesn't mean that their enterprise value isn't wouldn't take them to a billion dollars. Okay. XYZ company, let's say they make four hundred million dollar company. They're residential. Let's say you know four hundred million. They're at, at ten times you know uh, percent. So that'd be forty million. And let's say they're at a you know fifteen multiple. Well, you're getting them. They're really close. Yeah. yeah. Whereas you know. The commercial, I mean, they almost have to do a billion dollars in revenue to, to create the enterprise value with that. Got it. So we don't know, though, because this is what you're telling me. This is why you want to see it broken up into what is our percentage of residential versus our percentage of commercial. Right. And I'm sure those commercial guys are going, no, 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 no. Let's just look at revenue. Right. All right, because I like having being number five or six yeah. or ten on this list, right? Well, that'd be great, but how much <laughs> money do they actually make when they have to employ 4,200 people? And also the time value of money I look at too. You know, you've got a $40 million job, great, but that job is going to take a year and a half to complete. There's going to be problems, there's going to be things that happen, and there's going to be money that gets outlaid, and um, there's salaries, and there's engineers, and all the stuff that goes with a, with a year and a half job for a mall in your town that you're going to do. Sure. Um, these are things that have their own challenges. Yeah. Um, final question here for you is this, man. What does the future of roofing um, and truly, what is the future of contracting? Because you've got your, your pulse on this stuff. Um, what does it look like to you? What does the market look like to you five years down the road? And a second part to that, you mentioned earlier, man, you're helping contractors. Um, somebody watches this and they're like, man, I know I need some help. How, can, how does Garen help this person? But two-part question, the future, and how do you help these guys, man? Five years from now, uh, in contracting, I mean, right now the labor shortage is a real thing, and 
so you're going to see a lot more tools, you know, you, you know, for, for roof measurements, things like that, more technology in the space. Um, but you're also going to see more bigger players in each market. And then each market, it's going to be, you know, like real estate, it's going to be market dependent in each market. And, you, you know, the bigger players are ultimately going to be pushing out the, the smaller players because it's like when I go to a place to eat or whatever, I'm kind of a creature. I want to go to or a hotel. I go to what I know is going to be a good experience. And if you're going to get your roof redone, am I going to trust somebody, the big company with, you know, 400, 500 reviews or the small guy that I haven't even heard of that come knock my door and, you know, I'm, and you're going to trust your biggest asset yeah. with, with that. So I think that ultimately the smaller guys are going to get phased out. I don't mean that all smaller guys are going to get phased out. I think the smaller guys that are tenacious, that they can still grow, right, and and, and kind of outgrow um, being put pushed out. But but it's it's a, it's going to be a hustle uh, nonstop until they at least get to doing a ten million revenue. Yeah, absolutely. And what about people getting involved with you? Somebody <laughs> likes this man because you know yeah. I've had, I had people I was at Top Rep earlier this week. And I had sales reps coming up telling yeah. me about Shamrock Roofing. I'm not going to say anything else. Yeah. They're just asking me yeah. about Shamrock. That's an honor. Um, and I'd be happy to help and just share my experience. It's, I'll, I'll charge people money. I just help. Um, they can reach out to me at Garen, G-A-R-E-N, at shamrockroofer.com. And I'd be happy to share my experience with you, help point you in the right direction, help to get you to that next phase, um, and, and do what I can. I can, I, can, I can give you advice on what worked for me, but I can't do your push-ups for you. We all know how to do the push-ups. It's just do you actually get up and do you do them right there. Folks, I, I, I want to end by saying this. One thing he just mentioned about the future, I, I, I think is so extremely valuable and underrated. I see people talking about being the local contractor. And you may think that you can't be pushed out of your market because you're the local guy. And people know me here. I sit on the board of my school and you know i'm never going to lose this business you're wrong all right and garen's sitting right here he's a killer too all right he's a dog he's going to come into your market all right and he's going to advertise and he's going to take that business like so many will unless you evolve all right and everything that we've said here today about evaluating your business is about evolving all right the plan doesn't work it breaks you make a new plan okay because you stressed it out too much how do you evaluate your people versus how do you evaluate the bottom line, the processes? We went over all this today. Watch it back. Take notes. Look at it. Because it's going to be the difference between you getting the money you deserve for the hard work that you, your family, and your employees have put in, and then also you getting screwed over. All right? There's a real value in understanding the monetary value of your own business. And uh, I appreciate you clearing up a lot of this for us here today, Garen. Thank you. Um, and I know that people are going to find immense value in this. So thank you, brother. Wonderful. All right. Until yeah. next time, everybody, check out some of the short form content from this interview. You won't want to miss that. And of course, we'll put all the information for Garen in the description. Until next time, take it easy.